If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, please. 1 Kings chapter 17. In the Old Testament, these two books give us uh, snippets and some with more information about the various kings that were chosen to rule, particularly over Israel, as the nation began to form itself to be the people of God. When we get to chapter 17, we find that the Israeli uh, king Ahab had gone outside the bounds of God's people and taken a pagan wife by the name of Jezebel. Anyone here by that name? We don't hear it much. I've heard of a few hogs named that, but uh, uh, I don't know that I've ever met a human named Jezebel. Uh, Jezebel and her father, in particular, were notorious for serving the most sensual God on the face of the earth. Anything that they could do in moving people's sensuality, they would do it. And so Ahab goes out and marries this wicked woman by the name of Jezebel, totally against the dictates and the love of God. There was a faithful servant of the Lord from Gilead uh, by the name of Elijah. He was from the town of, that is known as Tishbite. Not Fishbite, but Tishbite. And in 17.1 it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Go away from here and turn eastward. Hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Drought, gardens wilting, crops not able to grow, grow because there was no moisture in the ground. Seems quite unfitting with all of the rain we've received in the last 24 hours, and I'm talking about a drought. But uh, this is exactly what was happening here, and God said it's time that my people understand that I am in charge. And so he chose Elijah for a very special Bishop, to bring back and remove the paganism that invaded the hearts of his people. Elijah found himself in a rather precarious situation in the sense that he was being blessed while others were dying. Starvation, thirst, whatever. Isn't it interesting when we read accounts in the Bible that we think about different activities in our lives that parallel those to some degree. The Bible says here, Elijah was really enjoying. God said, I'm going to send you to a desert retreat. I'm going to send you over here to the brook Kareth, and you'll like it because it's kind of out in the wilderness and you're an outside man. So Elijah went over there. Everything else was dry, but here was a little brook, fresh, clear, pure water. Flock of birds come in the morning, bring him bread and meat. Flock of birds in the afternoon come and bring him bread and meat. Hey, listen, that's like getting 
a free ticket to the beach, isn't it? And just enjoying yourself. You don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. You just have to go over there and follow God's instructions and to be there. But it's interesting to notice that the Bible says in verse 7 that one day the brook dried up. Duh. Why would Elijah not even? What do you think Elijah said? You think he said, well, thank you, Lord, that you finally dried this brook? No. I think he said, what's going on? He said, you sent me over here to this desert retreat, and you've been taking care of me, but now, look, the brook's dried up, and I don't see any birds flying this way. What's going on? What, what did I do to deserve this desolate place without provisions to live on? How do I get by? This shadowing, sh uh, shadowing experience in his life came with such an intensity that I think he was hungry, that he was thirsty, and he was saying, you know, I did everything you told me to do. Why would you do this to me? Have you ever had an experience like that? You ever had an experience when you looked around and one of the things that you had dreamed about was a brook that looked like it was just doing what it was supposed to be doing and then suddenly it stopped. It might have been a brook of financial success and somehow or another something caused it to cease. It might have been a brook flowing of great health but something happened and caused it to cease. We as believers sometimes have gotten the idea that if we'll do things in that particular way with that expectation, nothing bad is going to happen to us. That's false assumption. The brook flowing full with the happiness that had been so rich and full for Elijah was now dry and it was becoming a desolate place. Heard of a man whose family was blessed with the birth of a little girl. Just the apple of his eye. Anything that could be done for her, he would do it and just make sure that everything was going the way it was supposed to be. And suddenly one day she started running a fever and it grew higher and higher. And before the next morning, the little girl was gone. He began shaking his fist in the air and God, why did you do this? I could understand it if I wasn't a Christian. I could understand it if I wasn't a deacon and taught a Sunday school class. Or I could understand it if I hadn't given to you from the very first dime that I ever earned. Why did you do this to me? Life's disappointments. The problem of suffering in the world is a tremendous problem. And the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We're in a system that God has created that we call the world. And the suffering and the pain in the world falls on every person, believers and non-believers. Even God's elect are not exempt from problems that come that way. We all share in suffering and death, pain and anguish, disappointment, heart, heartbreaks. Don't know why other than in the process by which God designed civilization. He put us all on this globe, but therefore he wants a relationship with us so that we come to understand that when these occurrences happen, we have some way to handle them. 
and that some way is someone. That is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we act like the little boy whose mom was always trying to feed him correctly and give him the proper supplement so that he would be a healthy child. Finally, one day he said, Mom, I want to ask you a question. You keep talking about my need for all these minerals and vitamins and things, and it just seems like to me the only thing that I get them in is spinach. He said, I want to know why can't we have some in ice cream? I'm with him. But life gives us those kinds of situations. The hardships of life come in those spinach experiences. When you look closely here, you, you, you begin to realize that in Elijah's life came the flow of things that literally we can't explain. Can't explain why heartbreak comes. But we can have a power deep within our lives that enables us to transform the dry brook to rich springs of everlasting life and love in Jesus Christ. The disappointments in life can become the appointments for God in our lives. As we're searching and reaching out, we need to reach through our relationships. In other words, we can transform tragedies and failures into glorious, victorious success. If we walk with the Lord, we, we find in the Word of God and in our Christian experiences that there's a power and strength of faith that enables us to overcome the dry brooks that come our way, the difficulties that come. Now, as, as we look at this story, uh, there's some negatives that, that probably came up. Someone might have said to Elijah, you need to understand, my man, with everything that's going on, God's just forgotten about you. You're off over here by Kirith, and there's no one else around, and God's so busy running the universe and taking care of other folks. You, you, you just need to come to realize that he's busy running all of the affairs of everything that he's created, and he's just too busy to be bothered and interrupted by your particular issues and your particular life. He's just forgotten about you. Well, you know, I don't think so. Sometimes we also need to understand that there's a lot of people who believe that God is just a great force, that he's just a, a, a great mind, a source of energy, kind of an impersonal whatever you want him to look like or whatever you want him to be like, careless God that really is not involved in the personal, individual things in our lives or in the lives of others. Maybe you have arrived at a point to where maybe today you're sitting by a brook that's dried up. Brook of finances, health, difficulties, trying to understand what's going on. But this is not the picture that Jesus Christ revealed. We come to Jesus Christ as children to a father he loves us and he cares for us as a father pitieth his children. He cares about every one of us and he's so involved in the affairs of our lives, not even a sparrow can fall without the father knowing about it. If he is that meticulous about birds, don't you think he loves you? This means yes. Surely he loves you. The, the, the aspect of 
who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ lets us know how meticulous God is looking into the affairs of his children, into brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a personal living God. And so we could say to Elijah, God's not forgotten about you. Neither has he ceased to love you, Elijah. Some people would say the brooks dry up when the disappointments in life comes and the heartbreaks come because maybe we cease to love God. That could be true. And because of that absence of fellowship that you've known, you suffer because of your inability to love God or your desire to not love God at this particular time, neglecting Him. But folks, God never ceases to love. He never ceases to love us. Francis Thompson, British writer, wrote a, a reading called The Hound of Heaven. You may have read it. It's the interpretation of an angelic pursuit of God running after a person like a foxhound would chase a fox. Just stay on his trail. Just keep seeking to love. Just everywhere the love of God pursued. So the hound of heaven pursued and pursued, drawing that person, seeking to get that person. So, you know, you may not love God. You may even turn your back on him. You may even get upset at him. But God's love is ever pursuing us, ever seeking fellowship with us. So Elijah the brook is dried up. But God has not ceased to love you. So just keep on loving and keep on watching as he cares for you. Pastor was called to a family's house. The father had died and uh, they were going to have the reading of the will for the family. One of his sons had uh, served a term in prison, was able to get a short reprieve and come home for the reading of his father's will. As they sat there and the attorney who had drawn up the will began to read it, this young man sat there. And as he worked his way down through the will, this, gets, this person gets this and this person gets this. And when the will was finally concluded, this young boy's name was not mentioned about anything. There was an addendum paragraph that said, this son has so embarrassed our family, I have ceased to own him. I no longer claim him as my son. He has no right to any inheritance as a member of this family. No name, no family. As he sat there and wept, the pastor looked and said to him, I want to tell you something, God will never disown you. He will never disown you. We are sons and daughters and joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the family of God, and God never cuts us off. He never cuts us off. So Elijah, all these things are happening. The brook's drying up. The ravens are not coming. All of these things. But God hasn't forgotten about you. He's not stopped loving you. So this morning, there may be someone here sitting by a dry brook. God's not forgotten you. It's a lesson to be learned. You know that God cares. And knowing that God cares and that he's not forgotten about us, we need to look after what needs are stirring in our hearts and see where we are in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's some profound lessons in this story. So let me begin, first of all, with the, with the positive lessons that, uh, uh, well, the positive side of the lessons that I just spoke about. 
we cannot find full uh, philosophical answers to these questions. But we can find some truth in this story, this parable, this miraculous work with God in the life of Elijah. Sometimes God lets our brooks dry up to loosen our attachment on the things of life. Do you know the things of life can begin to control us if we just keep hanging? We have a tendency to hang on to things, don't we? You live with a pack rat? Don't raise your hands. Might be a bigger rat sitting next to you. Uh, in other words, the physical things of life become so attractive to us that we begin to hang on to them. And God says, you care more about these things than you care about me. So I'm going to have to break your grip on the bread and the water. You're becoming too attached. So I'm going to have to dry up your brook to make you realize what the real values in life are. Uh, following World War II, when... Prisoners of war were being released. One of our Southern Baptist missionaries in Tokyo had been locked away during World War II in a prison camp. Separated him from his family first. Then separated him from other prisoners and put him in isolation. Took his clothes except for his underclothes. And finally they came and said, we want those too. And he said, I stood there in that cell realizing I don't have one earthly thing in life. I don't have one earthly thing in life. But I knew that I still had the most precious thing in life. My relationship with Jesus Christ. Even though I lost every earthly possession, it was as nothing, for I still had my faith in the presence of God in my life and the assurance of my life in Him and His love and care for me. I wasn't by myself. I wasn't alone. You see, sometimes God dries up brooks that we might learn the real values of life. What really counts? Kindness, love, understanding, human relationships that are deep and meaningful, our relationship to God, that's what counts. And sometimes God will let our brooks run dry that it might compel us to move out and move up and move on to greater works that he has for us to do. You see, God's got some more work for Elijah to do. Uh, Elijah, I, I've got to have you to deal with wicked King Jezebel. By the way, she's got 450 pagan preachers that you've got to kill before we get through with this. Hello? Had a pretty big job out there in front of him, didn't he? And it was important for Elijah to realize God still had work for him to do. We can't sit around here in comfort and self-satisfaction. You've got to move, Elijah. I've got some preaching for you to do. I've got a nation for you to say. So God dried up his brook in order to move him out. Uh, Victor Hugo was exiled by Napoleon, if you remember. And in the midst of it, he did the greatest work that he had done. And finally he said, would to God that he would have exiled the sooner. Because the greatest production came in that sense of when it thought it would be the worst. We need to move out into the fields of life where we're to work for the Lord. There are more brooks to be enjoyed 
there are more challenges to be met. God also sometimes dries up the brooks that we might move out into the world to be a blessing to someone else. God has people that need encouragement. God needs people to be partnered with and serving together. This nation was starving. Babies were crying. No food. Here was Elijah, very comfortable over here by his brook. God pulls us out of our comfort zones and satisfaction and to put us where people are hurting and suffering. He said, I want to use you to take care of this particular, this particular situation. Give of ourselves in the name and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then God sometimes also dries up our brooks in life in order to give us a burden to carry. A work to do that will demand the best that we have. Did you know that an airplane will only take off when it flies into the wind? It has to work in order to get the wind moving in the right direction to get the movement up under the wings. Sometimes it's only when we face the hardships of life that we begin to do the masterful work that God wants us to do. Heard the story of an old grandfather clock. Had lasted through three generations sitting in the hallway of the farmhouse. You know, the kinds that had the two long chains and the weights hanging on them. Somebody came by and said, you've been doing this way too long. I'm going to relieve you of your burden. Took the chains and the weights and the old clock said, whoa, 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 put them back. That's what makes me work. Is to have the burdens and the pull up on me. It keeps me going. That's the way life is. We don't grow when it's easy. We don't mature when the brook's full and the bread's good and the meat's good. When the weight's upon us, that's when we begin to develop. We live a lot by heresies today. For example, our society is, is espousing that at the end of life, or as we approach it, everybody's supposed to be happy. H-A-P-P-E-Y. Well, that's a lie. At the end of life, it's not happiness, it's holiness. It's holiness. That's what's expected. The fulfillment of God's ideal for us is to be in us the right kind of people. But in all of this, there's an ultimate truth. No matter what the catastrophe looks like, God is not helpless. His hands are not tied. He's not wearing a gag. Even when the heavens are closed and no rain comes and the brooks dry up, God is not helpless. God is not finished and he's not caught by surprise. Elijah was surprised to see that the riverbed was dry, but not God. You see, God can take the tragedies and the disappointments of life and convert them and turn them around to make them into victories. He can turn the mishaps of life into his happenings. He can convert disappointments of life into his appointments. God is always doing this all the time in lives every day. When the brook ran dry, God said to Elijah, there's a woman over at Zarephath that you need to go see. 
She has a mill barrel and a cruise or a container, as we might say, of oil. And she has a son, and I want you to go over there. But I want you to remember, I'm going to move you to that place because I can save you and supply your needs. Because, you see, Elijah, you've still got some work to do down at Mount Carmel. There's not only those 450 preachers down there that's preaching heresy that we got to deal with, but did you know you're going to get to call down fire from heaven? Wow, what a day. God said, I've got these assignments for you. You see, God's always taking the disappointments of life and changing them into his appointments. Uh, Paul could, from prison, as he was near the end of his life, could look back at the journeys that he had made and the churches that had been established. And riding from prison, he looked back on the shipwrecks and the beatings and being ostracized by his friends. And he just sat there and said, in all of these things, in all of these things, have worked together for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Well, that's learning how, no matter what the dry beds look like, knowing you're in the presence of the Lord. How can we do this? How can we accomplish a way to handle the disappointments of life? Well, Jesus is our best example. Not only did he go to the cross to die on the cross for our sins, but he went to the cross to say that the cross is the way of victory. That's the way of victory. He not only endured the cross, he turned the cross into victory in itself. We can take the sufferings through Jesus Christ and through him, we can find victory. It's just that simple. He's with us. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. First of all, with supreme faith in Jesus Christ, we need to let our disappointments draw us closer to him rather than push him back. When disappointments come, growing closer to Jesus Christ to see how he wants to use it for a growth experience as we handle the difficulty. Secondly, let that, let that disappointment or that problem strengthen your faith, not shatter it. Oh, there'll be folks, particularly evil thoughts that will come to say, you see, this faith in Jesus Christ, this faith thing doesn't work. No, let it strengthen you. Let it bring you to the source of strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, let it make you and me more sympathetic, sympathetic and understanding and loving toward other people who suffer rather than becoming hard and bitter ourselves. All of us know folks who, because of the disappointments or difficulties of life, suffer every day. We must not let ourselves get into a train of thinking when disappointments come. And fourthly, let the disappointments and let the dry brooks of life send us out for service in Jesus Christ rather than uh, becoming hard and bitter or withdrawing and self-pity and sitting over in the corner saying, woe is me. Handling life's disappointments. Now folks, the only way by the victory of the cross through Jesus Christ can we do this. He did it for us when he died for our sins 
and he will do it for us and continue to do it for us as we have received him as our Savior if we'll just go to him, if we'll just walk with him on those daily basis. He will bless us, but he will also help us in dealing with the issues that will bring more holiness into our lives because of the holiness of Jesus Christ.